I'm Nancy Olison. How's the family? When grandparents step in to care for their grandchildren full-time, they're faced with many challenges. They need to provide financial and emotional support to their grandkids, and for all practical purposes, they step back into being parents. The number of grandparents raising grandchildren continues to rise. In Minnesota, 48,000 children live in homes headed by grandparents. That number has more than doubled since the 90s. The Minnesota Kinship Caregivers Association, MKCA, is an advocacy organization that offers support to grandparents and kin, like aunts and uncles, who are providing care to children. I visited their office recently to talk with three people from the MKCA. Executive Director Sharon Durkin, the chair of the board, Steve Rood, and Linda Hammerston, a board member who is also the program manager for Grand Family Connection from Lutheran Social Service. What you're going to hear is a conversation that I had with the three of them in the office of the MKCA, sort of like you're sitting in with me as a reporter. I began by asking Sharon Durkin if she's a grandmother. No, I'm not, but I was raised in a kinship home by my aunt and uncle. And tell me about that. Well, the most important thing was the connection to family because my fear was always I would be adopted by strangers. And my uh, aunt and uncle reassured me constantly that I was safe because I was with family. And that's the most important thing. And that's one of the big things we advocate for, keeping children with their families. Even the Pew Commission has done reports on it saying that children fare much better when they are kept with families and keep those connections. And um, can you tell me about your circumstances, Linda? Um, I'm a former child welfare social worker who investigated child abuse complaints early on in my career and have since worked in both hospital and school settings. And I guess I just have to say, hands down, the children fare far better in terms of their identity and uh, long-term support. Kids aren't grown when they're 18, and that's what happens if they're in foster care. And the other thing that happens when they're in foster care is they tend to be uh, moved from one home to another quite a bit, and that is just psychologically very traumatic. It's not any way to get a firm foundation in your childhood that will support you into a successful uh, adulthood. Then I asked Steve Rood a question. How did you end up making your re- arrangement to take care of your grandchildren 19 years ago, the first grandchild? First of all, our, our daughter had this baby when she was 16. She was uh, living uh, from uh, friend's house to friend's house and sometimes on the street. We knew that there would be problems, so we tried to stay in touch with our uh, daughter and we're we're willing to take her take the baby every weekend that that were to us so and we prepared for the time when we knew that uh she would be uh found neglectful and that happened 11 months after her birth and it was a difficult decision uh because we knew that it's something that might go on for uh, 20 or years or 19 years, and, and indeed it has, and we're very thankful that we did that. The second granddaughter was uh, later was in foster care and at the age of seven, and we determined that we would take her in. But w- at this time, because our, of our advancing age, we had hoped that it would be temporary. Here, 20, almost 20 years later, our daughter has straightened out, uh, she's living in our home. 
she's going to be set up in an apartment with the two children. Uh, one is now 19, attending college. The second uh, is 11 uh, in grade school. What are some of the reasons that there are so many grandparents offering child care, practically uh, living, living with their grandchildren right now? Well, the grandparents and relatives that we uh, come in contact with are raising the children on a daily basis without the parents present. And some of the reasons um, might be the drugs and alcohol, could be poverty, a very young parent who is unable to parent, mental illness. Um, there's some deployment um, issues that cause grandparents or relatives to be caring for children when the parents go to um, the war. There are uh, abandonment issues. There's abuse, many different ones, and all families have different issues. And Steve did mention um, meth is a big issue in Minnesota and a reason why a lot of parents can't parent. What is the structure? How does it how does it then happen? It seems like um, in some of the families that I've talked to, it's very casual. The grandparent just says, look, I'll take care of the kid. Linda Hammerston answered this question. Well, there's as many different ways that it happens as there are families, and our goal is to really meet the family where they're at and and help them as the very unique and individual situation they have and regard them as the experts. And we are there to provide factual information and somebody to bounce ideas off of and emotional support. Um, Very often it starts slowly, like Steve described. Um, Other times kids will be dropped off with parents and told they'll be back, you know, in a couple days or a week, and they simply don't return. Um, A lot of times it's through police intervention. Um, Mother maybe had the kids in the car and is picked up by by police for a DUI, and the police will contact grandma to say, can you come and get the kids? And she goes, of course. Um, Or another state, they'll come, you know, they'll get picked up by child protection there, and they'll Mother will say, oh, I have this mother, and she'll take them, and so mother, grandmother will go and, and get the kids. Every once in a while, there'll be a grandma who gets involved because of a chronic health problem. I can think of two families off of the top of my head where that's a situation. 3.7% of all children in Minnesota are being raised full-time by grandparents or other relatives. Um, it's a little bit more than two to one where it's grandparents versus, the, versus aunts or uncles. And you've seen a rise in that that number. Oh, absolutely. Um, It's been a tenfold increase over the past 10 years. In fact, nationally, there was a a big uh, increase just recently. Um, Generations United, a foundation in Washington, D.C., recently researched the topic, and they found that from 2000, the year 2000, there were 6 million children living in informal, not foster care, but informal arranged care between family members, by grandparents or other relatives. And now in 2007, that number had risen to 6.7 million. And I think it's important also to contrast that with the number of children who are in the state-sanctioned formal foster care system, and that number sits at about 600,000. So there's literally 11, more than 11 times more children in this informally arranged care than there is the government-supported foster care. When did you make the decision, Steve, to... Do you have a formal a formal care set up now with your two grandchildren, one who is an adult? No. Uh, we're not foster care providers. Uh, we chose not to seek that status uh, because then you're 
involving you're involving the children in the child protection system, and things can spin out of your control. You are dependent on the court and and uh, social workers to decide what's going on and if it's acceptable. And if it weren't acceptable, those children could have been placed in foster care. Another reason not to let children become engaged in foster care is there's a very strong effort now for children in foster care to find permanency, which includes it's primarily uh, adopting the children out. In other words, if the children aren't reunited with the parents in a uh, stable living situation within six months, the process for uh, adoption placement uh, begins. Can you tell me um, how, when when a grandparent becomes a caregiver, so is it true they just kind of fall into it? Yeah. Maybe you have some examples of how things have worked with various grandparents that you've worked with. This is Sharon Durkin. Well, for instance, um, the first day school started, a grandma called me and said, I've been caring for this child since he was an infant, and today I tried to enroll him in school, and they wouldn't let me in because I don't have custody. And what did she do? She called us, and we were able to get her connected with several sources. Um, one was the um, education law Um, association so that she could talk to them. Um, We told her about custody. We, um, I sent her to, she happened to be from a county in the metro, so I sent her to Linda to talk to her about um, support groups and to give her some guidance on um, where she could find maybe some legal help. We find that many, almost most of the questions we get deal with legal and financial issues that the caregivers are facing. And that's where it becomes pretty difficult because as Steve was saying, the MFIP, um, the TANF funding for the child-only grant, is $250 for the first child. And there's food and um, medical they can get with that. But if they have to pay for child uh, care, they can't do it on that grant. And so, and as Linda said, some of them don't know about it. So we try to let them know about what sort resources are available. And we also have our Legal Steps Manual, which is on our website. And um, that has all the legal statutes for Minnesota law on custody, adoption, financial, and so forth. What kind of emotional needs do grandparents and other kin have when they're in the middle of taking care of kids? This is Linda Hammerston. I'm really glad you asked me that. We tend to get into that a little bit over the phone and just provide emotional support, but it happens more often at a support group in person. Um, people go through, the caregivers go through an enormous grieving process. They're giving up the wonderful role of being able to spoil their grandkids and and send them back to their parents. And they have to instead be the one who's laying down the law about needing to do your homework and picking up your clothes and your toys, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that they mourn, the grandparents mourn, though, is they also mourn for the children the loss of their grandparents because they want for those kids to have that joy of being able to be spoiled rotten and then sent home. (laughs) And that just many times doesn't happen. Why, Why can't that happen anymore? Well, for one thing, if there's only one parent to begin with, there are no other grandparents. Just Monday night, for example, we had a grandma at our Blaine support group who was in tears because she was needing to make some difficult decisions because the other grandmother is a drug addict herself. And she said, 
I want so badly for them to have at least somebody to love them and be delighted to see them and have that kind of concentrated energy that a grandparent can have. And I'm trying to give that to them in a way that's safe for them. So at this point, she's having the grandmother meet them in a public place. And they're very little. And she says, I don't know. This probably won't be enough for them for the long haul. But at least it's something for now. That's, I guess, part of it. What are some of the sources of conflict that happen between a parent and the grandparent when when the grandparent is giving primary care? This is Steve Rude. Yes, this can be a tremendous problem. The, uh, oftentimes, in an informal situation, the uh, especially the adult child can uh, arrive at the home, emerge on, on uh irregular basis, spurs hope in the grandparent that maybe things are going to be better, certainly spurs hope in the children that they'll be connected with their parent again, perhaps live with their parent. But it's usually, and the parent may come in and actually promote these expectations for change, making all sorts of promises, then uh, very often will disappear again for the same reasons that they weren't uh, uh, available or present in the past. They, there may be conflicts about parenting uh, styles, what should be allowable and not allowable, be, uh, the, the differences uh, uh, that this often immature parent, younger parent will have versus what the experienced uh, grandparent will have, for instance, about hours at night or uh, staying away, keeping the child out of the home, taking her w- with, uh, those sorts of things. So it it can be an uh, emotional roller coaster uh, for everybody when the, when the child parent uh, uh, comes to the scene, sometimes it's better that there isn't any, at least it adds to stability when there isn't any contact. What are some of the challenges that people run into in a culture that expects the caregivers to be parents? The culture is expecting that at the school and, and many places, it's expected that it be parents. This is Sharon Durkin. Our society still looks at family as mom, dad, child, or children. And I think it's important that we reevaluate that view we have of family because it is so much larger and so much, so different from the old view. And so I think there's still prejudice that is um, out there for these families because they're different. They don't fit in that mold of what we think of as the traditional family. So those are some of the obstacles that these families have to overcome. And the isolation, like Steve said, is is there. They um, You lose friends because who wants to talk about diapers and, and colic when, you know, everybody else is talking about their bridge game they have or their golf game or something. And so there's that issue. Um, there's loneliness. And, you know, Minnesota's a rural state, and we have a lot of um, grandmas and grandpas and, and relatives in greater Minnesota who are very isolated. We have some grandmas who don't even have telephones. And um, so they're raising these children, and 
they're really struggling. We did have one instance in uh, greater Minnesota where a grandma was raising two older boys. They were athletes, and so they ate a lot. Well, grandma didn't have enough food, and she kept getting skinnier and skinnier until one of our regional agencies ran into her and said, well, grandma, what's going on? And she got to talking to her, and they were able to set her up with getting more food in the house. But, I mean, she was feeding the boys, thinking they always think of the children first. And their own needs get left behind, and that's a big issue because as people age, there are more health problems, and they need to take care of themselves. And and we encourage the grandmas, always take care of yourself because you cannot raise these children if you're not healthy. Then I asked Linda Hammerston what the children's emotional needs are. The children are dealing also with their own amount of loss, abandonment essentially. What is wrong? And they assume that it's something to do with them as to why their parents are not raising them. Um, They also feel different, and we find that that's one of the things that gets cured rather quickly if they come to services and meet lots of other families that are similar in structure to their own. Um, So feeling different, feeling abandoned, um, and of course, as Steve has mentioned, um, they often have many special needs based on how their life started. They've had um, often drug exposure in utero that has basically brain damaged them, and they have those cognitive things, deficits that they'll have to deal with for the rest of their lives, and then also any emotional um, or mental health issues um, related to their early upbringing, and also sometimes, frankly, just genetics. You know, um, so oftentimes we find mental health and substance abuse go hand in hand, and um, those kids probably have some of the same vulnerabilities. So they're often in therapy and just, um, you know, rather challenging kids to raise. Um, They do it, and they're committed for the long haul, and uh, the kids are the better for it because the grandparents, they kind of, they don't pity the kids. They they realize that that getting stuck in anger and pity does nobody any good. They're, They're into solutions and getting on with the business of life. Executive Director Sharon Durkin wanted to add one more thing. And another thing that we might mention is um, legal costs are an issue for caregivers who are in the informal system. If you're in foster care, um, that isn't an issue. But in the informal system, um, where do they go for money? It costs money to see an attorney. These things aren't free to get custody. And there's a terrible struggle. So we always are looking for attorneys who might um, work on a sliding fee scale or do some pro bono work. And they certainly could contact us. We'd be more than happy to have them, even to have a an attorney who will take calls from a grandparent um, so they get started, so they know what to do. You've been listening to a conversation with three members of the Minnesota Kinship Caregivers Association. That was Executive Director Sharon Durkin, Grandfather and Board Chair Steve Rood, and Board Member Linda Hammerston. Linda Hammerston is also the program manager for Grand Family Connection of Lutheran Social Service. Do you know someone who is raising grandkids? Do they have the support they need? There's more on my blog about the challenges grandparents face who are raising their grandkids. And you can comment there, too. I'd love to hear from you. How's the family? I'm Nancy Olison.